to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. Second Corinthians chapter 2, we are... Uh, going to finish this chapter here <clears throat> and I, I it's I've kind of taken a little bit <clears throat> of a liberty in this to focus on something that we don't really ever focus much on we'll we'll allude and we'll 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 talk about Satan here and there but I'm going to <laughs> we're going to talk about Satan today all right a little bit about Satan and the devil all right um, because Paul brings it up Paul brings it up. And uh, why don't we stand up? And uh, as you're standing up, I'm going to have you, because I'm just getting a little blood in your legs here for the next half hour. Um, Paul has dealt with, up to this point, he has dealt with um, this issue of this fellow that had been excommunicated from the church, and now he's telling him to bring him back in because. Uh, he doesn't want him to feel unloved and, and not welcome back in now that he has repented. Uh, and so he's asking the church, don't, don't go so far into one extreme where you are so tolerant of sin that you allow sin to run rampant in your church because you're a tolerant church. No, deal with the sin, but don't go the other opposite you know, extreme where you go, there's sin in the church, get out of our church and don't come back. You know, at all. You know, I mean, this is this is wrong. You need to go and repent. Well, now as as you've removed yourself from that person or removed that person from the fellowship, um, the heart is is that that person would would feel the loss, would feel the loneliness, would feel the the the, the separation from the spiritual covering that he had amongst his body of believers there, and. And go be, and allow the Lord and the Holy Spirit to work on his heart. Bring him to a place of change. Bring him to a place of confession and repentance. And then when that happens, God can restore him. Now when he comes back in, welcome him back in. Love him back in. Love that person back in. And it's not just a him, it's a her too. You know, love them back in. And that's the, the extreme. Paul was dealing with, you're so tolerant, you're letting it go that even the Gentiles wouldn't even allow this stuff in, in their own circles, but you're allowing it in the church. That's wrong. You've got to deal with this situation. But now that you've dealt with it, he's repented and it's time for him to come in and you're not letting him come back in. So let him back in. And so he's saying, don't be too far on one extreme or the other, but come back in. And so that's where we are. And in Second Corinthians chapter 2, he's, he's just read this and he's just said this and I'm going to pick it up in verse... Uh, nine, he says, uh, well, I'll perk it up in verse eight to just kind of finish kind of his thought here. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. And he's talking about this fella. For to this end, I also wrote that I might put you to the test, whether you are obedient in all things. Now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything... I've forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Lest, this is an important passage for us today, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. 
Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel and a door was opened to me by the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus, my brother, but taking my leave of them, I departed from Macedonia. Now, thanks be to God who always, I want you to focus and concentrate on what Paul is saying here. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. And through us, listen to this, this is an awesome statement. He diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, even among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death to death and to the other the aroma of life to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, as so many, peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God. We speak in the sight of God in Christ. Father, I pray that you help us to understand this passage. Help us to learn from this passage and help us to go and live this passage as we leave this place today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So Paul, he, he says, listen, um, when you forgive this fella, forgive him. If you forgive him, I'll for, I forgive him. You know, if if I'm going to take your lead on that, I'm going to take your lead on that. Why? He says, if you forgive anything, uh, I also will forgive. If indeed I have forgiven anything, I've forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. So he's saying, listen, if I've forgiven somebody that has wronged me or you, know this, I've, I've forgiven him or I've forgiven that person or that party for your own sakes. For this reason, lest... Satan, it says in verse 11, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Now, we understand, Peter says, listen, beware, be on your guard, for your adversary, Satan, he prays around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And I want you to get this picture that that's exactly what Satan does. He looks and he considers your weaknesses. He tries to find your vulnerable spots. He always has done that. That's what he's always done. He's always attempted to find the weak spots. Now, I will also say this. Satan is one individual. He has many minions, and we'll see that here in just a second. Um, In fact, I have I have a couple of uh, of verses that I want a couple of people to to look up, and I'm going to have you read them. So, would somebody look up John chapter ten? John chapter ten, verse ten. Someone who's got that verse? Not you're not going to read it right this second. You're just going to look it up. I'll have you read it. Okay, Kelly. Um, I have another verse that I want somebody to read. First John chapter one verse five. First John chapter one verse five. Dana, all right. Um, a Genesis chapter one verse two and three. Genesis chapter one verse two and three. Bert, okay, good. Thank you. I got that out of the way. Good. Now I'll call on you when when it's time. Um. 
So he says, lest Satan, you, we need to forgive, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. The enemy, as I say, he's one individual. He's not of many individuals. He has many minions. And like I say, we're going to look at that here in just a second. But he has many, you know, uh, ministering spirits to himself. Demons, if you will. That will, you know... Uh, come after people and look for those weak spots and, and deal with those situations and, and tempt us in those areas. But he's only one person. So if, if you think that Satan is on you, I'm not saying that he isn't. You know, it's possible that Satan is on you. But Satan can be in one place at one time, whereas God can be in all places at all times. Um, and, and it's the reason why Jesus said back in John chapter 14, you remember, he says, listen, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, I can't send him. But if I do go away, I will, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the Parakletos, the, the, the Helper, the Comforter, the Helper, the one that is going to help lead and guide you. And he is with you right now, you, but he will be in you. He will be in you. And so Jesus says when he went to the cross... And he died and he rose again from the, from the grave. And you remember, I believe it was in John chapter 20 where Jesus, he enters into the upper room where the disciples had assembled. And they were kind of freaking out. And Jesus says, peace, be still. And then it says that he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. They received the Holy Spirit at that moment, didn't they? I mean, when Jesus breathes on you and says, receive the Holy Spirit, something's going to happen. Right? You're going to receive the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus did to the disciples in the upper room. And there are those that go, well, actually, it was in the, you know, in the upper room you know, 50 days later where the tongues of fire were alighted on people, and that's when the Holy Spirit was given. Well, no, I, I would beg to differ. I would say at the moment that the Holy Spirit was given to the disciples, it was in the upper room. A totally separate event. And this isn't the purpose of this study, but I believe that there is a, a third application of the Holy Spirit in relation to an individual. You have the Holy Spirit that is with every person convicting them of sin, is in every believer who, become, who becomes a Christian, but is upon, that third aspect, is upon a believer to anoint them, to, to uh, baptize them or to fill them with the Holy Spirit in order to be witnesses. Jesus says, tarry in Jerusalem until you are endued from the power from on high. He said it to the disciples. He's already breathed on them. They've, they've received the Holy Spirit. And then he says, hang out here. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. Epi. It's an epi experience in the Greek. It's epi. And so here's the thing. Satan can only be one place at one time. As Jesus was one place in one time. I don't want you to equate the two because they're definitely not equitable. Jesus is not, you know, the light and Satan is the dark. Even though they are, but they're not equal in that. And we're going to look at that here in a second too. <laughs> All these little things in just a little second. I've got to get this thing going. So Satan, who is he? What's Satan's number one objective? It's to take advantage of us. That's what Paul says. 
lest Satan should take advantage of, of, of advantage of us. Satan's number one objective is to take advantage of us in order to demean God. His his destiny is set. Don't think Satan can't read the Bible. He understands what Revelation chapter 21 says. He, there is coming a day that he's going to be cast into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. And there he will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And, and for those who go, well, there isn't really an everlasting hell. They don't read Revelation chapter 21. And, and so we'll look at that here in a second. But again, another one of these little seconds. Let's take a quick look at, at, at Satan, Lucifer, the devil, the serpent, the dragon. Who is he? What did he do to cause his judgment? Genesis chapter 3. Let me just look at that real quick. Genesis chapter 3. You can jot these notes because I'm going to be flying through scripture here real quick. Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now the serpent, this is Satan, was more cunning. Remember, he's, he's a serpent right here. Serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he, sa- and he, the serpent, said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, Well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God had said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, what's weird is that a girl is talking to a snake. There's not a lot of girls that can handle being in the same room as a snake. But mind you, this is at a time where sin had not yet entered the world, except in Satan himself, through the serpent. The serpent is bringing sin into the world. He's bringing sin into the world. She goes, no, you you aren't supposed to eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. What did the serpent just do? He attacked the integrity of God to demean God. God surely didn't mean. Look at what he says. God knows that in the day that you eat, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. God's holding back something from you. So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her. That's a whole other study. And he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. To what? To sin, right? To their to their failure. Their eyes, the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. And when they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam said to his and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord God called to Adam and, to, and said to him, Where are you? Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said to him, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, it was the woman you gave me. She gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this woman that you've done? And she said, "Uh, it's the serpent. Everybody cast and blame. The serpent deceived me and I ate. 
And then he doles out judgment on the serpent, then on the woman, and then on man. Now, so here's the thing. God coming in the garden. Adam and Eve are hiding themselves. And God says, where are you? And I don't believe that that is God coming in as, you know, as an arresting officer going, where are you? Police. God, where are you? No, I think that, I think that he came in and said, where are you? Where are you? A, a father that's, that's, that's hurt, a heart that is hurt because he knew that a child has disobeyed and has hurt themselves tremendously. And this is a hurt and, a, and, and an injury that will not heal. Knowing from God in his judgments that he lays out from the serpent to the woman, then to the man, he immediately sets out. He knew in the words, where are you? He knew that at that moment he would have to become a man and he would have to die in, in their place to pay for that sin. He knew that that was the way to go. And so here's the thing. The serpent. He attacked the integrity of God. He attacked the integrity of God in the woman saying, Listen, God's holding something back from you. You can be more. Be all you can be. You can do more. You could do it all if you only wanted to. Ezekiel chapter 28. These are verses you probably want to write down and then look up later. Ezekiel chapter 28. Still on the subject of who is Satan? What did he do to cause his judgment? In uh, chapter 28, Ezekiel is prophesying. He's a prophet, Old Testament prophet. And he's prophesying about a king. But there's a duality in much prophecy. There's a duality of a local application, but then there is also a prophecy of a historical and possibly, and even at times, a personal application. If you were to look in Revelation chapters th- uh, 2 and 3, you're going to see that there are seven different churches that, that Jesus speaks to. And in each one of those churches, there are three different applications that you can understand from that prophecy given to the churches. There was an actual church that, that, that Jesus was speaking to. There, so that's a historical church. Then there also is a, is a, uh, a present modern day church that we might look at. And so we would have to look at our church and go... Calvary Chapel Christian Fellowship, which of the seven churches more align, what, which, which church does Calvary Chapel Christian Fellowship mostly align with amongst those seven churches? And, and, and as you look at it that way, you can then begin to see how that application applies to us. Well, then what do we do? Whatever we see in those seven churches that Jesus talks about, what is it that, that, he says to those churches back then, know this, his word doesn't change. He's saying it to us too. It's funny that pastors will always say, well, I believe that our church is the church of Philadelphia. I don't think that I've ever heard a pastor ever get up and say, gang, we more readily 
identify ourselves with the church of Laodicea. And Jesus says, listen, you make me sick. I want to spit you out of my mouth. I don't, I don't know of pastors that will get up and talk about, well, our church most closely aligns with Laodicea. Most pastors will go up, hey, yeah, we, we totally align with Philadelphia. I'll let you go and study that and find out and consider it and pray through it yourself and find out what does our church fit in. But then there also is a personal application, which is, again, a part of your homework assignment. Find out where our church sits, but then also find out where you sit. Because you know what? You're a part of one of those seven churches. Not because you're a part of this church, but because that's who you are. That's the influence that you have. That's what you act. That's how you act. That's how you live your life. You will find yourself, if you're honest and you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you, you will see that there is a personal application amongst those seven churches and it will closely align itself with you and you will then go, well, what do I do? We'll then read the rest of of what Jesus says to that church and he'll tell you what to do. He'll tell you what to do to remedy your situation, your spiritual condition. And so there's a historical, there's a, 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 you know, a, a personal application amongst the church. Uh, you know, there's a, there actually is even, and, and many will even look at this and say there's actually a, a, a uh, and I said historical, it meant, I meant to say local application because there was an actual local church that was being spoken of. The historical would be more so, some pastors and some theologians will look at and, and see the seven churches and say there are actually seven different time periods. From the time that this revelation passage was given, there are seven different time periods that you can actually look at and see the church as a whole. This was kind of the, the, the over uh, covering of, of basically the church as a whole, that this is what the church was going through. And so you can look at during seasons of time that it was from this date to this date that kind of fits in with church one. This date to that date that kind of fits into church two. Some theologians will do that. And so actually there would be a fourth application. And so prophecy, I say all that because prophecy oftentimes has a duality to it. But as... as uh, uh, Ezekiel is saying here in Ezekiel chapter 28... He's talking to the prince uh, and the king of Tyre. And as he's talking to the king of Tyre, somewhere along the line, around verse 13, he starts to step out of a realm, Ezekiel writing, he starts to step out of a realm that cannot even apply to a man. It just can't apply to a man. It says here in verse 12, so verse 11, back up to start the chapter, start the, the passage. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the seal of perfection. Now I want you to understand, as I'm about to read this, consider in yourself, is he talking about a man or is he talking about Satan? Can these things actually be even said about a man? Or can they only be spoken of about Satan or Lucifer? You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Has any man ever been that? Adam, and then he fell. But we're not talking about Adam here. He can't be talking about the king of Tyre here. Because nobody is the seal of perfection and perfect perfect in beauty. 
You were in Eden, the garden of God. So was the king of Tyre in the garden of Eden? No. This is long past the garden of Eden. The only man that was in the garden of Eden was Adam. Is he talking about Adam here? He's not talking about Adam. He's talking about somebody else. Who else was in the garden? The serpent. Right? You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardis, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared on the day for you on the day you were created. This, there are many theologians that will look at this and say that when, when Lucifer spoke, he, you hear me right now in a monosyllabic manner. You hear one voice coming out. But when Satan spoke, it was like a full-on orchestra was speaking. Can you imagine somebody speaking and having that beauty? Now, mind you, his looks were unparalleled. His mind, unparalleled, other than God himself. His voice, awesome. You ever hear a, a, a song that just literally just floors you? I remember before my mom passed away, the Gaither vocal band, uh, Mark Lowry, uh, w- w- in, the, in the band, they, they sang a, uh, a song, uh, and I was, she was in her wheelchair, and I was sitting there, and, and it's one of the most precious tapes that I, I've ever ha- I have in my possession. And it was when they sang, Let Freedom Ring. You probably, have any of you even have ever heard that song? One, two, couple. Let Freedom Ring. It's an incredible song. If you like harmony, if you like vocal, if you like the ability of the blending of voices, it was awesome. And I remember my mom had Parkinson's and then towards the end of her life, it was really bad. She had really bad dyskinesia. And so she was sitting in her, in her chair and she was just like this. And she was watching this with me. And I was sitting right next to her, and she was just like this, constantly. And, and I'm sitting there, and we're watching this, and she was always moved with music. They sang that song. Tears shot out of her eyes. She was, I, I don't know how that happened. Tears were, were coming, and they were coming off of her body. I'm like... How is that happening? I just remember. And her face was beat red because it was so moving to her. Have you ever been moved like that by music? Every time Satan opened his mouth, every time Lucifer, and I won't say Satan, every time Lucifer opened his mouth, that's how he spoke. Can you imagine being in that kind of perfection, that kind of a voice? He goes, listen, the workmanship of your timbrels was... And pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You, you were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you, God says. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created. Was Lucifer created? Yes, Lucifer was created. He is not the co-equal part of God. When you look at God and you understand that God is light, Satan is not the co-equal, same power, same, you know, darkness as God is light. Satan is a created being. God is uncreated. If there is any parallel to Lucifer, it would be Michael 
and Gabriel. If you look at Michael, Michael is known as, as kind of the, the warrior angel. He's the one that, that blows the horn, you know. You know, you know, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God, Michael. Gabriel, on the other hand, is one, his job was to, was to kind of protect the lineage of the Christ. He was the one that spoke to Joseph. He was the one that, that would, spoke to Mary. He was the one that was protecting the lineage of the birth of Christ. Then you have Lucifer. Who was he? Again, I'm not going to be super dogmatic on this, but I'm going to be, I'm fairly persuaded that Lucifer was the worship leader in heaven. I think one of the reasons why churches have so many problems amongst their worship team, it's because Satan hates worship teams singing praises to the Lord. And I know me, I don't know about you, but man, when I mess up in a worship song, it seems like every time I mess up in a worship song, it's a, it's a word that is the most wrong word to make a mess up on, where it would turn the attention off of God and onto me or onto someone else. I hate that when that happens. And it frustrates me when that happens. But I believe that Satan was none other than the worship leader in heaven. You know why? Here's the thing. Look at it yourself. You will not find from the time that Satan fell until we're in heaven. You will not see singing going on in heaven. It doesn't say the angels sang. It might say that they shouted. But there's nobody leading them, I don't think, in heaven. I, I think that that's why worship is so important for us here. I think that the worship leader got kicked out of heaven. We're going to see here that, that in Revelation chapter 12 that Satan, when he got kicked out of heaven, his tail, the dragon, he, tore, he took a third of the angels with him. Who was that? That was the worship team, I believe. The worship team became demons. <laughs> I'm on the worship team. You know, sometimes when a pastor talks like this about the worship team, the worship team gets kind of their, you know, feathers in a ruffle. But here's the thing. God kicked out the worship team because of their leader. You were the anointed cherub who, who you were perfect. I'm sorry, you walked back, for, back and forth uh, in the midst of fiery stone. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until iniquity was found in you by the abundance of your trading you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, important verse, I cast you, cast, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up in pride because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor and so I cast you to the ground and I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. So what did Satan do? He allowed his beauty. He allowed his voice. He allowed the splendor that God had created in him to overtake him to a place where he thought, man, I am all it and even more. Oh, you don't know? Turn left with me to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. 
Isaiah, another prophet. Another duality passage of prophecy. He's talking to the king of Babylon. And he talks about here, he says, Hell from beneath, in verse 9. I'd go back up further, but I I just, for the sake of time. Beginning in verse 9. Hell from beneath is excited about you to meet you at your coming. That's just a graphic thing that I don't even want to think about. It stirs, and it's even going to be even worse. It stirs up the dead for you. All the chief ones of the earth, it is raised up from their thrones. All the kings of the nations, they all shall speak and say to you, (laughs) have you also become as weak as we? Have you become like us? Your pomp, what pomp? His splendor, his pride. Your pomp is brought down low to Sheol. And the sound of your stringed instruments... (laughs) Let me tell you, the maggot is spread under you and worms cover you. That's a disgusting thought, isn't it? And then it goes on in verse 12. It says, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you were cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you said in your heart, here's the pride. Here's the splendor. Here's the here's this statement that got him kicked out of heaven. I will ascend into heaven, Satan said. Lucifer said, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high God. Five times he says, I will. You got an eye problem, right on, Ross? He says, you got an eye problem. You got an eye problem. That's awesome. Five times, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will be like the Most High God. Yet, verse 15, you shall be brought down to the pit, man, to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. And those who see you will gaze at you and consider you, saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of his prisoners? Now, I can't ever read that passage without also sharing a personal story. My son was in K-4 at Calvary Chapel School. And Mrs. Benjamin, his teacher, Donna Benjamin, some of you guys might know her. She called me and she was very concerned. She goes, Pastor Haskins, um, can I talk with you? I'm going, sure, sure. I, I, I went in and, and, and I, I said, yeah, what's, what's bothering you? She goes, your son Nathan said some pretty disturbing things to me. I said, well, what was that? She goes, he said that when he dies, he's going to see Satan. I go, what? what? Yeah. Yeah, she says that, no, she said, no, we're going to see God. And Nathan, he said, no, my daddy said we're going to be able to see, we're going to see Satan. And I go, oh, I remember. Maybe I gave him a little bit too much theology at four years old. But I I read this passage to him. I said, you know what? One day, buddy, we're going to look at that Satan that gives us all this trouble. And we're going to look at him and we're going to go, you were the one that we were so freaked out on. You? It was you? I was trying to pass on a, 
you know, a teenager mindset message to a four-year-old, and he got a little bit of that lost in the translation to Mrs. Benjamin. I said, oh, yeah, we are. And I told her, I said, oh, well, we are going to see Satan. You're going to see him too. Oh, no, I don't think so. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just playing with you. It's in Isaiah 14. This is what, and then I showed her, and she's in, oh, okay. Oh, that made, yeah, I was frightened. I'm thinking, who are you, you know, and what are you, what are you teaching people, you know? You're a Calvary chapel, aren't you? You know, yeah. So, this is the pride that built him up, and, and, uh, I'm not going to have time to go through all of this, but let me very quickly look at Revelation 14. I'll let you guys go here in just a few. Revelation chapter 14. It says this. I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 12. Now a great sign appeared in heaven. This is Revelation. This is speaking in in a prophetic sense. This is uh, John, uh, the revelator, writing down what it is that he saw. And he's seeing a picture of what happened in heaven. What happened in heaven. Um, That preceded all of this stuff. Now a great sign appeared in heaven. A, A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars symbolizing the, 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 the 12 tribes of Israel. The woman is, for, for lack of time, I'm going to just give you who these people are as, as we go. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman, that's Israel, clothed with the sun, uh, with the moon under her feet. And, and, uh, and this is a picture, if you go back into Genesis chapter 37, you're going to see that, that uh, Joseph, you remember Joseph had a dream where the moon and the sun bowed down to him. You know, that was speaking of of the father and the mother bowing down. You know, and and it, you remember uh, uh, it, it it he had twelve brothers on her feet and on her head a garland of twelve stars. This is the twelve tribes of Israel of the woman. Then, being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. The child is none other than I believe Jesus Christ. Jesus came out of Israel. Jesus was a Jew. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon. That is a picture of Satan. Having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. Uh, Those seven diadems are crowns. You can go back into the book of Daniel and read about this. Uh, Seven heads, ten horns, and diadems. His tail... His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven. The stars are a picture of angels. It's a, it's a, it's a name for angels. And so he drug a third of the stars with him uh, out of heaven. And he threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, stood before Israel, who was ready to give birth to devour her child, Jesus Christ, as soon as it was born. I believe Satan was in, in, you know, infused, if you will, at possessing uh, uh, Herod, trying to kill the baby Jesus. He was so incensed that this child was going to be born that would be a king that he sent the wise man to go find him to come back and report to him because Herod wanted to kill that child. And when he found out that he was deceived by the wise men because they were warned in a dream, don't go back and tell him, they took off and went the other way Herod found out that he was deceived and so he went in and he killed every male child two years and younger trying to do exactly what Revelation chapter 12 says. 
to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. This is a picture of Christ. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness. This is uh, talking, I mean, this is a very quick, very quick summation of the history of prophecy. I mean, we're now pushing ourselves into the tribulation period, you know, uh, where uh, she was, a woman fled into the wilderness. I believe this is going into the rock city of Petra, where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there for 1,260 days. That's three and a half years. That's a seven-year tribulation right in the half. And war broke out in heaven. Michael, the archangel, the warrior angel, and his angel fought against Lucifer, or the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was there a place for them in heaven found any longer. So the great dragon was cast out. Remember I told you to remember the word cast out? He was cast out. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. And then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who has accused them before our God day and night and has been cast down. And so here is again a picture of uh, Satan being cast to the ground, being cast to the ground. Um, again, I don't have time to go through every one of these passages. I would love to. But again, the devil, his main objective is to kill, steal, and destroy. That was John chapter 10. I don't have time for you guys to read it because we're out of time. John chapter 10, verse uh, 10. Listen, uh, you know, I, I heard another pastor at one time, uh, and, and I think that it's, it's kind of apropos for what we're talking about here right now. I heard another pastor speak uh, of the repellent nature and the character of the devil and why we should be wary of him and his deeds because no matter how you break down his name, he remains someone that we should completely stay away from. For just the name devil elicits a vision in our mind of corruptness. We've all heard this statement, the devil made me do it. Why would we ever say such a thing? Because whatever action that we performed uh, that caused us to say this statement would be understand, understood to everyone listening to us that it is either neither godly nor acceptable to others. The devil made me do it. It's something of corruptness, if you will. So just saying the word devil takes our mind to a place of corruptness. Now, let's break down his name even a little bit further. If we remove the letter D from the devil, we're left with a word that characterizes Satan, and that word is evil. He's evil. I was going to have Kelly read John 10.10, 10, but I'm going to read it very quickly for our sakes. The thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. I come that you might have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I think it can be safely assumed that among us all, that if someone were, wanted to come and steal and to kill and to destroy us, that would put them as the leading candidate for the evil person of the year award. I think evil. He's evil. Let's break down the devil's name even further. Remove the D and the E. And what else can we learn from the character of the devil? Yep, he is vile. He is vile. He's vile. 
My man Noah Webster, he, he defines the word vile as being morally despicable and aberrant, repulsive, disgusting, or utterly bad. Think about that. Let's see if there's any redeeming value in the name or in the word vile. I'm going to have you quick in your mind. I'm going to give you like three seconds. Form a happy and pleasant sentence that includes the word vile in it. You can't do it, can you? You just can't do it. Vile is a word that's disgusting. Taking this little exercise a little further, let's remove the letters D, E, and V from devil to expose another characterization of this evil, vile, ill. It's, it's the, we get the, get the word ill from. Ill. God did not create evil, vile, and illness. They're simply direct byproducts of what is left when we remove the goodness of God from our lives. To explain this in a quick, simple example, I'm just going to read this because I'm out of time. To explain this in a quick, simple example, who created darkness? Well, nobody created darkness. Some of you have heard this exercise before. Darkness is simply what is left when you remove light from the room. Darkness is the absence of light. Now, we know that God is light. I was going to have somebody read Dana. I think was going to read 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message, it says, which we have heard from him and we declare to you, John writes, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So darkness was not created. Darkness is wherever God is not. Remember that in verse 2 and 3, the the very first 2 and 3 verses of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Who really created illness? It was a byproduct of man listening to the devil and moving away from God and toward him, the devil. And so, as we end this little exercise, on the name of the devil, we still have one more letter to go after we remove D and E and V and I. And that letter that we have remaining is the letter L. And that is exactly where we'll go if we listen to and live the way that the devil wants us to live. We'll go to that same place as he is destined to go when all is said and done. We would be the prize of the devil's objective to demean God as we join him in L, in hell. Here's the thing. Revelation chapter 10 or 20. I alluded to it earlier today. Revelation chapter 20 says this. Gang. Verse 10 of chapter 20. And the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, that's God, whose face, the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for the earth and the heaven anymore. And then I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God and books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Let me just say this. Anyone who stands before the great white throne judgment is going to go to hell they're going to go to hell you don't want to stand before this great white throne judgment it says the sea gave up 
the dead who were in it. And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. And then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is a second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life, life was cast into that same lake of fire that Satan was cast into where he will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So going back to our passage, here's what Paul's saying. We're not peddling, as so many peddling the word of God. But as sincerity, as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. Why? Because God will lead us in triumph. He'll lead us in victory. For the purpose of diffusing his fragrance of knowledge in everywhere we go. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved. And even among those who are perishing. To the one were the aroma of death leading to death. And the other aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these? Here's the thing. This is what I want to leave you with. Satan is real. Hell is real. God is real. Jesus is real. Jesus died on a cross. He was buried. He rose again three days later. He breathed into the disciples. The Holy Spirit came into them. He came upon the disciples through the Holy Spirit. And as the church has grown and and has continued on through this day and age, our job has always been, according to the great commission of Jesus, Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the good news. The good news, the gospel. And baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I am with you even always to the end of the age. Here's our job. It's to minister to the world around us because there is a real hell and there is a real heaven. And when we live our life, to those who are going to heaven, we give life. They go, oh man, that's awesome. When Jeremy was talking here a little bit ago about, about evangelism, a part of your heart's a little jump. Go, man, I, I love when I see someone evangelize. I love it when I see someone evangelize, you know, in a restaurant. You sit there and you hear somebody talking to somebody about the Lord. And I'm going, Lord, I'm praying for that individual right now. When I'm, you know, ministering or evangelizing to somebody. And you can see, you can see Christians as they're walking by. You know that it's, as they're going by, you see that they're praying for you. But here's the thing. As we live our life, for those who are going to hell... We're, they have this sense of death when we're around. But that's okay. Jesus says we're the light of the world. And we're the salt of the earth. What happens when you're in complete and utter darkness and someone like a jerk, like me, I would do like to Nathan just recently. I said, hey, look at this. Boom. And I, I can't remember. It was just two nights ago, I think, where I, I turned on a light real bright in his eyes when it was real dark. Just because I'm a dad. I do that. Boom. Ah, stop. You know. It hurts. I don't mean to hurt my son, but, you know, I'm playing with him. Have you ever gotten a cut? Got some salt in a wound? What does it do? Feels good, doesn't it? No, it doesn't feel good. There are people that are walking around that are wounded. There's people that are walking around in darkness. And here you as a Christian, you're walking around. You're going, man, my eternity is set. My heaven is set. 
I am walking with the Lord. I'm going to live with Jesus forever and ever. I get, I have a freedom in life. I have a love for mankind. I have a love for people. And you're walking along and you come upon somebody who's in darkness and all of a sudden you got, boom, you cast this bright light and they're going, ah, turn it down. You walk by the wounded people that have no rock with the Lord and you, you, you walk by and some of your salt spills into their wound. They're, ah, get away from me. But there are those that are ready to say, I'm sick of the darkness and I'm sick of the wounds. I need what you have. What do you have? What do you have? And it's for that we can bring them to the life. We can bring them to the light. Gang, we have a job. We have a job. I got a message from my pastor friend today. Bob Davis. Pastoring up in Idaho right now. Just a quick little sentence. Jesus is coming soon. Dot, dot, dot. Tell everyone you see. And Jeremy gets up here and says, Hey, the field is white unto harvest, and yet the laborers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send more laborers into the harvest fields. Gang, now is our finest hour. Now is our finest hour to be Christians. Do not give up. I was proud of Jeremy to sit up here and go, I know he's going through some stuff. That's one of the reasons I kind of wanted him to get up. I knew he was going to share. I knew that. Here's the thing. I know it's therapeutic. And I know it's challenging. Because when he looks you in the eyes, he's one of those guys you all know. He doesn't hide his emotions on his sleeve. There's a lot of allergies when Jeremy talks. The point is, it's a shot in the arm. For him, it's a shot in the arm for me. What I heard him say up here today is, now's not the time to give up. Not get, No way, I can't give up. Not for my wife. I can't give up for my wife. I can't get up, I'll give up on my kids. I can't give up. I can't give up. And you know what? You can't. You can't give up. I can't give up. Now's not the time to give up, gang. Now is the time. This is our finest hour. Let's live it out strong. Because Satan is doing it. How much more we? Amen? Father, thank you so much for today. And I'm sorry, I've taken a long time. But Lord, I pray that this message will pierce our heart. Lord, help us to see the enemy more closely in understanding what his whole job is. I, we know, Lord, he's roaring around, like prouncing around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he, he may devour. He's out there. He's ready to take us down. He's trying to take us down. He's trying to, to demean you, Lord. He's trying to cast doubt on your integrity. He's trying to make us or make others think that, God, you are trying to keep things from us. Just as he did with Eve, his ploys, his, his devices, his strategies, they're all the same. They always have been that way. He knows his time is short. He's getting stronger. There is more evil. There is more desperation in his efforts. What that should do for us, Lord, and I pray that you would do that through the power of your Holy Spirit, is it incite us and excite our hearts and our minds, Lord, to live our lives full on for you, passionate. Because, Lord, if you come back today, I want to be busy about your business. Lord, I would much rather 
be talking to somebody about you or ministering to somebody for your sake. When I hear that trumpet blast, if, if I live for that long or if it happens today, I don't know. Then for me to be living for anything in this world because everything that is in this world is going to pass away. Only the things that are done for you, Lord, will last. And so, Lord, I pray that this message has lit in the fire under each and every one of us. May we go out and live our life for you. Full on, passionate. Forgetting hurts or forgetting things that have happened in the past. Forgetting the past, Lord, let's press on to the future. Let's press on. Help us, Lord, as a body of believers. Make this church closer and closer as we rely on one another and yet spread outside of this place and infect the world around us with a, an antibody that would heal the sin sickness that is prevalent upon this dark earth. God, may we be the salt and the light that you've asked us to be. May we do it together. May we do it individually. But God, may we do it. You will empower us. It's what your job is. It's what you want to do. Help us to be receptive of what it is you want to do through our life, through the power of your Holy Spirit. God, help us. Remove our fear. Remove our our inhibitions. And help us to live for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name. thanks for listening. So did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.